1: Well please take your Bibles tonight and turn to Proverbs chapter one. Proverbs chapter one, uh, reading from the verse one down to the end of verse number nine. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, King of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice and judgment and equity to give subtlety to the simple, and to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels, to understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction." My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother, for they shall be an ornament of grace upon thy head, and chains about thy neck. The Christian life is not an easy life. Again, faced with the enemies in this world, in the world, the flesh, and the devil, we certainly find ourselves at times struggling to know how to live for God in troubling times. And in light of this, it's understandable that there are many, and they thirst for the how-to-do sort of preaching. Uh, They want to know principles and instructions, do this and this, and you'll be blessed. And they want to know, again, the the very simple principles of, all. how do I live as a Christian? And there's a place for that preaching. There are important things in the Word of God to, uh, again, to convey to people regarding uh, the matters of Christian living. But I think it may be worth mentioning that before you get to all the how-to sermons, you must come back to the subject of our attention at the present time. How-to means nothing unless there is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is so foundational that it must be laid in place before other things are added to it. And so we're in the course of this study, and I believe by the grace of God, if we get this clear in our minds, it will in turn help us in the how-to of the Christian life. And so up to this point, we have again given some general considerations to the subject, noting that the fear of God is the very core and the essence of true Christianity. A Christian is someone who fears the Lord, period. It's not additional to being a Christian. It is at the very core of being a Christian, and that has been the case in all ages in church history. It comes in fulfillment of a promise of the new covenant. Again, Jeremiah 32, we have the words there that God will make an everlasting covenant with them. He will not turn away from them, but he'll put his fear in their hearts he is going to give them one heart and one way that they may fear him forever. It's a covenantal promise. God in his covenantal grace is putting his fear into our hearts, and as such, the fear of God comes by a work of the Spirit of God. It is not this abject terror of God, but is a reverent, filial awe of God. In light of forgiveness, there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared, Psalm 130. It is that tender heart towards God, an attitude of reverent fear that controls how we act, think, speak, speak. John Murray, again, is so helpful in his definition. He says this, the fear of God, well, the controlling sense, the controlling sense of the majesty and holiness of God and the profound reverence which his apprehension draws forth constitute the essence of the fear of God. It is a controlling sense of the majesty and holiness of God. Now, we will not move far from these concepts, but what I'd like to do in the coming weeks is really to examine some scriptures that really reinforce these principles. And I believe they'll add depth to our understanding and I pray intensify our longing to know this fear. And I want to start tonight in this verse uh, in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. And also compare it with chapter 9 of Proverbs and the verse number 10. Chapter 1, verse 7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And then chapter 9, verse 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. And so we have these words, and these are words, of course, of Solomon. Solomon. Verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, he's a wise man. Now, that wisdom is not earthly wisdom. He is wise with the wisdom given to him by God. Thus, these words are words that mark God's view of wisdom. He's a man with experience. Again, when you think of Solomon, you think of the end of his life and the writing of Ecclesiastes, and he comes to the conclusion of the whole matter, and he tells his readers, in light of all that he's experienced of this world, its pleasure, its power, its prosperity, in light of all these things, the conclusion is very simple, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man is a wise man who has walked with experience and learned these things uh, through his own hard knocks, his own mistakes at times. He's also a man with a godly heritage. Uh, again, back in Psalm 111, these words are used, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, uh, we're not told in Psalm 111 that David wrote those words, but it's, it's possible Uh, And thus, if he writes these words, it may well be that Solomon is passing on those things he learned from his own father. We certainly see Solomon takes that seriously. Verse number 8, My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. But even if Psalm 111 is not penned by David, Psalm 25 is. Turn back to Psalm 25. Because I think it's worth noting again that as Solomon points our attention to the importance of the fear of God, and that is something that certainly his father also believed. Psalm 25 in the verse number 12, What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. His soul shall dwell at ease, and his seed shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant." Now, you see again that David understood the central importance of the fear of God and the fear of God as fundamental to learning the way of wisdom and to walk in the ways of the Lord. Again, it's just worth pausing for a second or two again and reminding us all that it is our responsibility as parents and as older people in the church to model the fear of God and to exhort others to walk in the fear of God. It's a solemn thing. We should not take the ways of God as a matter of lightness. And our children and the young people of our congregation should see in our conduct that we take these things, the things of God, with the utmost seriousness. Now, there is a God in heaven who sees us, who watches us in all of our ways, and whose smile we desire, and whose frown we fear. This is the words of the wise man, a wise man under God, with experience, with a godly heritage, who, of course, is writing under divine inspiration. And thus, these words carry the divine seal and call for our attention again tonight. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now, before we get into the material really proper tonight, it's worth noting a couple of things regarding the language here. Uh, Note again, as is so common in the poetic literature, note the use of parallelism. Again, there are parallels here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, this is a parallel of contrast. Again, you'll see it and again, parallels are used in various ways. Sometimes they expand uh, one part upon the other. This time, the expansion is in terms of the contrast. And again, you see again that the Bible is clear that the fear of the Lord is equivalent to being saved because the fool in the Proverbs is not someone marked by intellectual troubles, but rather somebody marked by spiritual troubles. They are still in their sins. The fool in Proverbs does not walk with God. And so, again, you're seeing just another proof text that the fear of the Lord is really equivalent to someone being saved. It's also worth noting, though, that the words for beginning here, chapter 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and the word for beginning in chapter 9, verse 10, are not the same word in the original. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, chapter 9, verse 10. In that place, the word beginning does speak of a start of something, like the beginning, the way we would understand that term to be used. But back in chapter 1, the word beginning here can speak of the chief or the principal part of something. If you have a a marginal version of your authorized version, you'll see in the margin there, it can refer to the principal part the chief part. So not just the start, but beginning as in foundational. Uh, and so a, a house's foundation could be called the beginning of the house, but the beginning doesn't cease to exist. It continues all along. It's, it's, it's foundational, and so it is here. The fear of the Lord is foundational. It's the principal part of knowledge. And so tonight I want to think about that subject, the fear of the Lord and knowledge. And the first thing to note is that the fear of the Lord is fundamental to the acquiring of all true knowledge. Let me say that again. The fear of the Lord is fundamental to the acquiring of all true knowledge. Now, what is it to have the fear of the Lord? Well, it is rightly knowing our relationship to the Lord. It's a recognition of who God is and who we are, and it's having that right understanding of the glory and the majesty of God. But knowing our relationship to God is fundamental to a proper knowledge of self and of sin, of salvation, and of the scriptures. Now, John Calvin, again, the Reformer, grasped this very helpfully in his famous work, The Christian Institutes. The opening book of that work is entitled, The Knowledge of God the Creator, and chapter 1 begins with this heading, The Knowledge of God and that of Ourselves are connected. He understood the true knowledge of self, also require a true knowledge of God. Now, he opens in this way, he says, without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. So he, he puts it the other way round to begin with at least. He says, well, if you're going to know God, well, you must have some knowledge of self. He says this, nearly all the wisdom we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. But while joined by many bonds, which one precedes and brings forth the other is not easy to discern. In the first place, no one can look upon himself without immediately turning his thoughts to the contemplation of God in whom he lives and moves. And so he says, well, when you begin to think about yourself, then you begin to think about God. And so as you begin to analyze your existence as a creature, you're going to turn to God. Of course you are even a child in the earliest days of their life, that they look at themselves, they they admire their fingers, and when they can put words to that, they say, oh, where did I come from? What what happens? How am I here? And there's an immediate kind of awareness, well, what happened to bring this about? And so there has to be that realization of self that then turns us to, again, a consideration of God. When we understand ourselves as a creature of some origin, then we begin to turn our attention to God's. Calvin continues, Each of us must, then, be so stung by the consciousness of his own unhappiness as to attain at least some knowledge of God's. Again, he's, he's going further, because when you examine yourself as a creature, that's one thing. But as a sinful, miserable creature, oh, that's another. There's this inner restlessness as Augustine referred to, and there is a need to find our rest in God's. So we have self-knowledge, and it turns us to the Lord. We cannot, again Calvin says this, we cannot seriously aspire to Him before we begin to become displeased with ourselves. The knowledge of ourselves not only arouses us to seek God, but also, as it were, leads us by the hand to find Him. And so Calvin begins there. He says, well, if you're going to know God, you've got to have some knowledge of self. But then he notes, without knowledge of God, there is no knowledge of self. And when he goes on to deal with the matter in his own works, he first of all begins with the doctrine of God, not the doctrine of man. And so in his own mind, he begins to develop this thought, and he's saying, well, unless you know God, you will not properly know self. Let me again borrow from Calvin. He says this, Again, it is certain that man never achieves a clear knowledge of himself unless he has first looked upon God's face and then descends from contemplating him to scrutinizing himself. He's saying, basically, God is the sole measure by which we must judge ourselves. And so we will not know ourselves without having a proper knowledge of God. And knowing the fear of God, therefore, in these words—and i borrowed from Calvin's thought—is fundamental to knowledge. A proper knowledge of God, a proper acceptance of the fear of God, is fundamental to the knowledge of ourselves. When we fear God, we then can sing with the hymn writer, Pride I abase, I'm only a sinner, saved by grace. You see, that's what happens when we know God's holiness. As we saw on Monday night in a book club, we see God is holy, we see we are not, and there is this disparity between God and ourselves, and so when we know God, we come to know self. And without true knowledge of God, we will not properly know self. We see a God who again judges sin, and we fear God, and we come to no self. This knowledge of God is fundamental to knowledge of sin. You see, with the fear of God, we, we have accepted that God rightly determines what is sin and what is not. Again, a knowledge of God and the fear of God gives us such a reverence for His law that we're not going to treat sin carelessly or lightly. We're going to take sin seriously. We're going to look at ourselves in light of the law of God. But even beyond that, this knowledge of God and the fear of God is, is fundamental to a knowledge of salvation. You see, when we come to fear God, there is the recognition that salvation is a necessity. When we have the proper fear of God, we know that we, we can't boldly come into God's presence. We need a mediator. We need a righteous and not our own. We, we see this in the fear of God. We recognize in the fear of God that only God's plan of salvation counts— any other plan's worthless. We recognize these things through the fear of God. We come to know the Scriptures. He alone can reveal himself. He alone can reveal his will. You see, when you have the fear of God, all of these other aspects of knowledge fall into place. And so the fear of the Lord is fundamental to acquiring all true knowledge. That's what the the, the book says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You know, if I could apply that, it is so obviously the case that doctrinal error flourishes in a climate of casual Christianity. Well, where do you see doctrinal error flourish? Where well, there is an absence of the fear of God. It's not the only place the devil is able, it is so, his deceptions in so many areas. But when there's a lack of the fear of God, the door is open to casual interpretations of the word. Uh, there's an opening to those thoughts of God that are not the highest thoughts of God. And so in, in teaching the Word of God, it is vital that we begin with the foundation of the fear of God. Again, there is, there's incongruity in some church services where there's a fluffiness and a lightness to the initial 30 minutes, whatever that might be. And then the man of God will come up and begin to thunder the Word of God. And people are going, well, what, what is it? Is it the first 30 minutes or the latter? But the whole, the whole worship service must be couched in the context of the fear of God and the reverence for God. This is God's Word, treated with utmost seriousness. And so in teaching our children, we must present the majesty and glory of God and pray that the Spirit of God will apply those things to their hearts, even in terms of personal growth. Whether it be private study or coming under preaching ministry, your personal growth depends on coming to the Word in the fear of God. What God says is what is going to matter, and so this fear is fundamental to acquiring all true knowledge. But secondly, no, please, the fear of the Lord is fundamental to an appetite for true knowledge. Not just the acquiring of it, but the appetite for it. Again, look at the parallels of verse number seven. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. There's an opposite here. Those who fear God, they do not despise wisdom and instruction. They thirst for wisdom and instruction. And before I go any further, there is a very real possibility that if there is no hunger for the Word of God and the knowledge of God, it may well be because the fear of God is absent. You see, those who fear the Lord, they actually thirst to know God. Remember, we saw this terror causes the soul to flee from God, but this fear causes us to run to God. Now, we've used various synonyms for fear, terms like reverence and veneration. But what about the term awe? Having an awe for God. Well, surely when you think of the word awe, You could think of that word in terms of a fascination to know more about this God. This God is so overwhelming to our minds, infinite in his majesty, infinite in his immensity. We see the the majesty of God, but our awe for God is such that we have a longing to increase in that knowledge Any believer who's been saved for any time at all will say, I want to know more about my gods. I want to grow in my knowledge of this God that is beyond my comprehension. God's incomprehensibility does not cause us to stop learning, but works in our souls a longing to learn more. We desire to know more of this, God. And so the fear of God, properly understood, the majesty of God will actually drive the believers thirst to know more. And they'll say, oh, Lord, teach me more from your word. Show me more of yourself in the scriptures. And of course, the same is true in the sense that the fear of God also leads to an eagerness to know how to please the Lord. That goes back to our very definition of the fear of God. God's smile and not his frown is our desire. And so we want to know more. What is it that pleases God? Where can we find? It's in the Word. So where, where can I see in the Word how I can walk and please the Lord? We have that desire. Because the fear of God is governing our hearts. And so it stimulates this appetite for knowledge. We do not despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the chief principal part of knowledge. And there is no true knowledge like the fear of God. At least thirdly and finally, and just very briefly tonight, the fear of the Lord is fundamental to the proper application of true knowledge. And here we begin tonight, and I'll we'll come back to this again. You move across to Proverbs chapter 9. And you see a connected thought here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Again, we are seeing here a parallel. And this time, as I mentioned, the word beginning does speak of the start. It's used in that way. The beginning of something. And so the fear of the Lord is the start of wisdom. And without the fear of God, there can be no start to wisdom. And again, the parallel here is the knowledge of the holy is, if you like, it's it's the beginning of understanding. So understanding properly begins with the knowledge of God, and wisdom properly begins with the fear of the Lord. And so there are parallels and they are connected thoughts. But what is wisdom? Well, again, in Proverbs, the life of wisdom is opposite to the life of the fool. And so the wise life is the godly life. The foolish life is the ungodly life. And so wisdom is living, thinking, and feeling rightly. It is the application of knowledge. It is the putting into place in our lives the principles we've learned in the Word of God. The application of true knowledge, wisdom, and fear. The fear of God is the first step to this right living. Again, this is obvious. The fear of God comes in our minds along with the conviction that God's will is right and true. The fear of God comes with a conviction that God is the only true and living God. He is the creator. He is the lawgiver. And thus, his law is right. His law is true. His law is good. And we come to have these convictions in the fear of God. And that's the foundation of wisdom. If you're going to obey God's law, it begins with a recognition that God's law is good. And that's part of the fear of God. You see how these things, they fit together so very well. It's also true that those who fear God, they will testify that God's will comes first. It's the fear of God, not the fear of man. Man's will is secondary to God's will. And when man's will and God's will come into conflict, God's will comes first. And so at times, to walk in God's way may displease others around us. We will walk in the ways of the Lord. And so again, you see it, the fear of God is fundamental to the application of knowledge and the pursuit of wisdom. God's smile is the most important thing. And thus we walk in these ways of wisdom. Let me finish again tonight with some more words from Calvin. He says this, "'This mind restrains itself from sinning, not out of a dread of punishment alone, but because it loves and reveres God as Father, it worships and adores him as Lord. Even if there were no hell, says Calvin, it would still shudder at offending him alone. Here, indeed, is pure and real religion, faith so joined with an earnest fear of God." You see, if we're to walk in wisdom, we must cultivate this fear of God. It is true at the beginning, of a walk with God, it is the start of wisdom, and it's the continuation as well. We walk in wisdom as long as we continue to walk in the fear of the Lord. And so through the fear of God, we will acquire true knowledge. We'll have that proper attitude and hunger for that knowledge, and then by God's grace, the proper application of that knowledge in a life of wisdom. But often said, these things are enough to cause us to pray. We see a world that is lacking in wisdom. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And there's a lack of wisdom. And therefore drives us to pray. This is the right way. And if they are to live the right way and to know the right things, Then we pray, God, put your fear in their hearts in terms of the covenantal promise. Give them a new heart and a new spirit that they would come to fear thee, the one true and the only living God.